Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was in a relationship for 32 years, married for 30, before I found out we were neurodiverse in our 29th year of marriage. And we have one child who will be 25 next year. And I'm here today with my co-host, Manisa. Hi, I'm Manisa. I've been in a neurodiverse relationship for the past eight years been married for six. Um, I am a board certified behavior analyst who actually diagnosed my husband. Yeah, I love that. So we are really thrilled today. We have another guest and we have been so excited about the people that we've been meeting and who've agreed to come on the Neurodiverse Love podcast. And Allie is no exception. Allie Arena is a communication specialist and we are thrilled to have her here today. And welcome, Allie. I'll let you introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm Allie Arena, and my background is I'm a language pathologist and a board-certified behavior analyst. And then I went back for my doctorate, and I looked at what it means to be dating on the spectrum. Um, and from I was, I love working with individuals and talking skills, um, you know, just life skills, uh, how to become a manager at work. I realized most of these people are in a relationship. And then I found out about neurodiverse couples counseling. So I became certified in that. And I'm going through um, John Gottman's certification at, at the moment too, because I feel like they kind of marry each other really nicely. Um, and I primarily work with couples and young adults to adults who are um, transitioning between jobs or um, are basically having difficulty communicating is really the best way to say it. <laughs> and a that lot of, is, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, no, that's awesome. With ADHD as well. That's like a, a new um, space that I seem to be getting referred a lot for. And I, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I'm always interested in how helping professionals get into this field. And sometimes, you know, it's um, lived experience, they have a child, they had a parent or a partner. So how did you get started working with neurodiverse couples? Because it is a specialty. It definitely is. I, I mean, way back in college, I know what I wanted to do. I, th I was like a film major at one point. Um, and okay. I actually, yeah, like I, I don't know what I was going to do with that, but, um, I actually babysat a child with autism and I, like, I was just, I was done. Like I just adored this kid really seemed to understand him now realizing in my thirties, when I got diagnosed with ADHD, I was like, Oh, maybe I understood how much you were doing things that I do. Um, mm. <laughs> so right. But like at the time I didn't know that. So then after college, I worked with, um, autistic children for years. I got my, you know, math pathology, had my BCBA and it wasn't until, um, I started working a lot more with young adults and I've always loved the social component of language that I was getting questions like, um, do people go to strippers or like, do I met a girl after two dates or whatever? Just really, really questions Aww. that I'm like, oh, no one's talking to you about this. Like, right. Not talked about. I still think that's pretty true. There isn't like a person in a, um, like a special education package that's talking to them about like sex or relationships or any of that, you know, it's like each profession might in a little knowledge. Um, so that's when I decided to go back to school and I looked at dating on the spectrum and I interviewed a bunch of adults who had either been in relationships, wanted to be in relationships and talked about what was difficult for them. Um, and then through that, I just meeting so many people. I love, I mean, I love love and connection, right? So I love <laughs> yes. And with, with couples that just seemed like a natural next step. That's awesome. So yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So Allie, you were talking about um, dating on the spectrum and it reminds me of, I don't know if uh, you or Mona have seen the uh, Netflix series, oh, yes. uh, Love yes. on the Spectrum. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And yes, yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll reference that a little later, but 
it really opened my eyes to the first time of like difficulty of dating on the spectrum, especially for young adults. I mean, I think dating, you know, just in general can be very tricky. Um, but when you really don't have some of those, you know, intuitive cues to know what to do, it can almost be just, you know, uh, so much anxiety with that. So you working with these couples uh, who are in these neurodiverse relationships, what would you say are some of the biggest communication differences that you see in neurodiverse relationships? I think, and you know, I think these also happen in non neurodiverse relationships, right? But they're just way more um, exemplified, but like Mm -hmm. partner typically has like a significant lack of perspective. Mm -hmm. And, other partner I think is still hoping for a long time like oh they're gonna pick up on this cue like don't have Mm -hmm. to blatantly say I'm upset like they're gonna see this but that doesn't happen and that's such a compound of hurt and I think a lot of people who come to me have also already tried traditional couple therapy and Mm -hmm. it didn't work so then there's kind of like trauma around that too like it's like they're both holding Mm -hmm. this is not working like there must be something wrong with both of us I think you know communication obviously is like a primary thing that I'm working on but I think that's everyone in a relationship I don't couple that communicates super well all the time yes absolutely yeah Yeah. and well go ahead Manisa I'm (laughs) sorry so So you this, yeah, yeah, this is such an interesting topic. So you talked about like perspective taking. Can you share with us like some of the strategies and tools that you use to kind of help bridge that gap? Because, you know, we always say that the purpose of communication is not just to listen, but to be understood. So yeah. how do you bridge the gap to help with some of that perspective taking? So the, the first, and I feel like I talk about with every and I don't mean to gender but it's mostly the men that I'm having this conversation with yeah. but, um, that just because you like that doesn't mean your partner does so like mm. example, you know like if I'm upset I actually like to go be alone but maybe your partner wants you to just sit next to them you don't even have to talk or maybe you know or another version of that is like if something's wrong, I want a solution, I want to fix it. But maybe your partner still needs to see in, um, what's happening and they don't want a solution immediately. Um, and that your solution can actually be like hurting their feelings, not really connecting with them on what happened. Um, and that shows up a lot, like little stuff. Like um, one couple I was just recently working with, he always would just start packing the car before a trip. So in mm-hmm. his perspective, right, I'll get up at 4 a.m. She's going to appreciate this so much up and I pack the car, but because that's what he would want. But she's more of a like, oh, I, I already thought about the fact like 7 a.m. We'll have coffee and then I want to pack up lunch for the kids or whatever. So at, at, with him doing it for she messes up her whole flow. Um, mm. But he wanted to leave as early as possible and he thought he was doing them a favor we would avoid traffic you know what I mean so just again yes. that like, just that works for you doesn't mean your partner necessarily wants that too right so not, not not a lot of assuming just yes. be, be very literal and make yeah. sure that you're communicating yeah okay yeah. I think that this is such an important point Manisa and Allie because I remember so many times my ex going what he thought was above and beyond the call Mm -hmm. of duty, especially when we traveled. And instead of listening to what I needed, because it was always stressful when we traveled for a whole lot of reasons, he would do what would make him less anxious. Mm -hmm. He would do what would make him more balanced. And whatever that was, he did it without communicating it. And oftentimes what you're saying, Allie, it would get me so angry because he didn't understand how important communicating to me as his partner who was traveling with him was. So I think this is a really important issue for a lot of neurodiverse couples. Um, If you are a partner in a relationship 
as uncomfortable as it might be to communicate what you are doing and how um, it might affect and understanding how it might affect your partner is critical. However, I, I think a lot of folks are challenged with that understanding part. Yes. So the perspective taking and the understanding part. So I want to delve a little bit more into that and, and also maybe around black and white thinking, because I think that that happens a lot in relationships where the partner on um, the spectrum thinks black or white. You know, I, I've mm-hmm. you know, packed the car at four o'clock. Why is she angry at me? <laughs> I did what we needed to do. Yes. You know, I don't understand it. Allie, any words of wisdom beyond what you've already said? Because I think this is a critical issue. Yeah. So I think a few things. The one thing you were talking about, like um, the assuming and sort of one of the strategies to um, talk about a lot with my neurodiverse couples is almost communicating to a point mm. of nausea and then they might pull back. But yeah, like I plan to get up at 35 and put all this in the car. Is there any reason it would be an issue, right? Like it almost sounds childish, but prevent communicate that. Um, And then I also think you had brought up another point, you know, just the understanding. So a lot, another strategy is a lot is the rule of three. So, um, you have to, when you come home at the end of the day, you ask each other how your day was or like, you can, it doesn't even have to be that. It could be like, guess how the kids were today. I'm it's some genuine question and say three things in response. I think that happens a lot too. Like one person wants a larger conversation. The other person is like, my day was fine. Like, why are you bothering me with this? I wouldn't want to tell you. <laughs> okay. well, why are you, you know, like, um, and so that typically works because it's pretty concrete. Um, and eventually sometimes the partner's like, I hate that this is so robotic and I, and I hear that. So like we have to work through it, but at least it's a start of like a check-in and a real listening. Uh, and then I'll extend that and I'll have them practice in front of me and I'll see if the one partner is hearing the emotion words. Cause typically what they hear is like, she went to the doctor then she had to get blood work and sat in traffic. But if I hear that story, right, it's like, oh, wow, she went to the doctor. They told her she has to go get more blood work because they saw something, right? And then she had to sit in an hour of traffic and was feeling overwhelmed. Like, there's a lot more emotion there. Um, right. Helping them not only just get fact, but there's an emotion under the fact. Um, and then black and white thinking, ooh, it's a hard one. It really mm-hmm. is. Um, because it's, I mean, it really is so ingrained. Um, I sometimes use visuals with that literally, um, to help them see like, okay, your, your partner is here. What is something in between? Um, so almost like picture like a Venn diagram kind of like Mm -hmm. where between here. Um, but the visual is really the only strategy I've seen work somewhat effectively because it's, you know, verbal language isn't all amazingly processed by the neurodiverse so if at least there's something visual where they can see like okay there's a little bit of overlap um it helps sometimes but i'll be honest that that's probably the stickiest point i see in most of these couples the black and white thinking yeah but those are great i love i love the idea of the rule of three say three things in response because every time my ex would come home from work i'd ask him how his day went and he'd say fine that wasn't very helpful. And then I'd want to share and process everything that happened to me. I love also the emotion words for the neurodivergent partner to hear those mm-hmm. and to explore those further. I think that's really critical because I think one thing I've learned over and over again is that communication for many neurodivergents is to share information. They love yes. sharing what they know just like anybody but on the other side sharing emotion is difficult for them but i i think it's really critical for them to understand the emotion from their partner and that is very very challenging because i think i I can only speak to my experience i think it can be so overwhelming especially if they haven't had time to relax after getting home from work Mm -hmm. and all of that so 
so Allie, I, I want to talk a little bit about the emotional piece and emotional differences in particular. Maybe we can expand on what I just said. What do you see as some of the biggest emotional, and we can talk about social challenges for the neurodiverse couples that you're working with? So I, the biggest thing is most neurodiverse individuals aren't all that aware of their own emotions and Mm -hmm. actually have that good of a labeling process. Right. And I think, you know, this, a product of the fact that we aren't even, we just started doing this for all children, right? Now there's something called social curriculum and kids Uh are learning like, Oh, I'm angry. Yeah. I feel kind of hot and my heart's racing and right. Like Uh didn't grow Uh up with that vocabulary. So now we're ups. We never really explored our emotion. And then this partner's trying to get us to like express ourselves. (laughs) Like I've never reached in here. So I think it's the biggest challenges is that the neurodiverse, um, neurodivergent individual needs to kind of make a concerted effort to earn their emotions. And also, um, and and feel a little bit like I'm not a kid. I don't need to do this, but there are plenty of adults. Uh, neurodiverse or not that don't have a good realization of what's happening in their body and their emotions, but for them to learn their own and then to learn key things like uh, almost rule-based every time means something else, right? So like if the partner says something like, um, I'm fine, it's fine. Um, Or like right now I just did that and my hands kind of flared up. If I can (laughs) teach the neurodivergent person to look for that, you at least mm-hmm. they have some knowledge to ask a better question there's also a lot of uh just nonverbal cue blindness on so and that's really frustrating for a partner like your tone changes a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and scream to get a reaction mm-hmm. um, which then feel crazy because you're like why am i screaming the whole thing <laughs> so i think you know just making sure that we're helping that neurodiverse person see it as it progresses, right? So I might even literally do in therapy, like I'll have the one partner sort of go through his or her process of getting annoyed. Because you know how we all have like a ramp up to annoy? Yep. And we do yes. Yep. So really helping them like see it because I have found that mo- I'm going to say 100% of the couples come in, the other partner is like, I had no idea that that meant you were annoyed which is maddening to the one person. It's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. we've been together years. Like, how could you not know that? Um, and, you know, I even sometimes do this in my own relationship. I will flat out, it's vulnerable with you. I need to say something or nice back to me. Like, what I need. Yes. Mm-hmm. What you think is supposed to happen. That's what I need, you know? Yes. So being really clear on that. I like what you you said, um, Allie, about, you know, most Aspies are not aware of their emotions and the part that I really like that you said, and they can't label them. Um, I want to share this story um, about what I did with my husband. And sometimes he tells me, I feel like your lab rat. But on this particular (laughs) day, he was very cooperative. So, you know, I work as a BCBA in a public school and, you know, of course, a lot of my children have autism. So I have these beautiful um, color real life picture cards of people um, using their face to make emotion. So if it says sad, there's someone, you know, with their mouth down, you know, the lips are down and the eyebrows are in, you know, very obvious that they're sad. So it's like 20 of them, like sad, frustrated, angry, happy, proud. And I asked him, I said, you know, I don't think as I was working with a student today, I realized that I've, I don't think I've ever seen you demonstrate any of these and I would just like to try and see if you can make the faces so I was actually showing him the picture and just wanted him to mimic what the picture looked like and we were doing it in front of a mirror and when it was over he himself said this was very very hard and I never realized that you had to put so much effort into showing your emotions on your face And it was like a big aha moment for us because here I was, you know, with all this resentment and anger, like you said, Allie, why don't you show this? And why don't you, 
and I'm realizing like he literally is struggling to do this. So it was, it was a big aha moment for me. That is yeah. Manisa. I want to, I want to speak to that because I experienced that over and over in my relationship and I could never read my, my husband's, my ex-husband's face because he was almost always very stoic. Mm-hmm. And what I, that was, you know, before I knew we were neurodiverse. And if you look at pictures of him, he hardly ever smiles or opens his mouth. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just couldn't understand it. I thought he was often cold and I, I would use the word stoic. And now I realize that an exercise like what you just said would have been so helpful because I don't think he was ever aware that he didn't show any emotion on his yeah. face at times where I was looking for emotion. So that's really, really interesting, Manisa. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're yeah. welcome. I yeah. think too. And I think, you know, there's also something to say with um, learning this more and more. Remember there was like a dialogue for a long time that individuals with autism like didn't have emotions and like, yes, not there are emotions. Sometimes there's even so much emotion they don't do with it. But I think to what you're saying, it's like the they're feeling the emotion does not express the same way as typical. And that's right. where the disconnect is. So I think once a partner is like, oh, maybe my partner expresses an emotion as slightly different than me or slightly different than the norm, I can start um, respect that and understand it a little bit more. I think I that's a great point, Allie. And, and um, this brought up something else, Allie and Manisa, that I wanted to share. A friend of mine who is ADHD um, has a partner who <laughs> keeps asking, do you think I'm on the spectrum? I don't know if she is, but, you know, she might be. And what my friend who has ADHD and can and very easily show her emotions did is she got the emotion wheel. And I think it's from the Gottmans. Uh and or the feeling wheel i don't know if it's Mm -hmm. called feeling or emotional wheel and it has i don't know 30 different emotions on it and it's a wheel so in in my opinion it's kind of like the spectrum of emotions and so when her partner and i saw her do this in front of me one day when her partner doesn't know what emotion she's feeling and there's nothing on her face to show to my friend that she's having an emotion she's like okay i'm gonna go get the feeling wheel i think it's feeling wheel and you can tell me what you're feeling or what you're experiencing at this time. And she'll start one place that she thinks her partner is like, are you feeling sad? And she'll say no. And then she'll go to the next one. Are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? And it was such a fascinating process. I, I want to tell our listeners, if you can get this feeling or emotion wheel, I think it's from the Gottmans. I would highly recommend that you get it and print it out and share it at a time where your partner would be comfortable with discussing it, but it was really helpful in this situation. And I don't know if either you, Allie or Manise have anything to share about that. Um, my husband and I, um, actually one of our, one of our therapists, when we first started out, um, suggested that we use the, the feelings will, and he gave it to us. And it was hard for my husband because he couldn't identify most of the feelings, you know, mm. other than, than angry or sad or happy. Um, it was very difficult for him, which led us into more discussions about feelings. And he said something really powerful for me. He said, um, excuse me, powerful to me. He said, me, you asking me what I'm feeling and me just providing an answer just to answer the question is just like you telling me the answer to an algebraic equation but you didn't show me how to get the answer. Mm. So although you might say, well, hey, are you happy? And he says, yeah, I think I'm happy. It's like you're feeding him an emotion just to have an answer, but he really doesn't know how to access happy. He doesn't know how to get there himself. And that's what he tells me. It's like, yeah, I understand it's important for me to be able to tell you how I'm feeling but he said it's really hard because I have no idea how to get to the emotion. And I think someone said to me one time that, you know, um, there, people on the spectrum have emotions, but it's like a radio dial. They're just turned down really, really, really low, you know. And so I may jump up and scream at, a you know, an athletic event 
And to my husband, that's way overboard. But you got 10,000 other people doing the same thing. But for him, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I'm just going to sit here and just say, you know, good job, way to go. Because that for me is just like you jumping up and screaming. Mm. Allie, do you want to talk? Manisa, that's such a great point. And I've seen both the both sides of the spectrum. So um, with the men I've dated who've been on the spectrum. So Allie, do you want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an interesting and and cool. There is um, an autistic SLP. So she realized that she was autistic later in life. Um, and I was having a conversation with her. And kind of to what you were just saying, Manisa, she was saying, for so long, she was saying to people, I'm anxious. But what really happened is someone else leaving her, mm -hmm. um, your stomach feels weird, anxious. So, and I think that's what happens to a lot of kids too. Like, oh, you smiled, so I'm going to tell you you're happy. But mm -hmm. that association isn't really there. So again, mm -hmm. the point, like, um, it's important for them to be able to read it in other people but then to keep doing um you know kind of deep work with themselves with a therapist and feeling figuring out what the wheel looks like because it's probably not as expansive as um a typical you know a typical i hate when people are like how do you feel and i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> like fine and that's the worst answer ever because what does that mean mm -hmm. um so I, I talk to parents a lot about that too, if they're working with, um, you know, like kid autistic kiddos and they're like, I asked them how they feel and how their day was. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I don't answer those, mm -hmm. you know, at all. so also just thinking about, um, I think sometimes we're like really wanting them to identify something and they might not have the vocabulary. And then are you both familiar with, I don't want to butcher the name. I think it's agraphia. No. Um, Okay, so hold on. I'm I'm gonna use Google. I'm, basically, this is they're talking about now or dysgraphia maybe that um people spectrum actually have this and it's um like a a neurological difference where you really can't label an emotion like it's mm -hmm. really hard for you to do it. Um, of course, I can't right now. <laughs> I will. All right, um, well, we'll we'll look it, look up. it yeah. up. It, yeah, we'll look it up. I may have heard about this. And I think it's very interesting. And I always want to say during the podcast before I turn it over to Manisa, you know, I, I created the neurodiverse love podcast so that partners could understand each other, both the neurodivergent and the neurotypical. And sometimes because, you know, I am the neurotypical I see things through a different lens. Sometimes we'll laugh. Sometimes we'll even poke fun, but we do that because if we don't laugh, and I think I said this during the last podcast, if we don't laugh, sometimes all we're going to do is cry and be angry. So mm -hmm. I hope that everybody that listens to the podcast sees that this is an opportunity for all of us to learn on both sides, yes. you know, and, and, and to figure out kind of like that Venn diagram you were talking about, where can we meet in the middle? you know, mm -hmm. and, and how can we focus on our own individual strengths and our strengths as a couple? So before I turn it over to you, Manisa, I wanted to say that. So you're on. I think that's awesome because, you know, one of the things that we want to do is be responsible in what we're sharing. And, but at the same time, we have to be truthful right. and, you know, neurodiverse relationships are challenging, but so are, you know, relationships in general, they're challenging. Um, you know, neurodiverse relationships come with their own, their own set of challenges. And I think that's why this podcast is so helpful because we're identifying what those challenges are and then providing strategies for them. Um, and then everybody's relationship is not going to be the same. You're not, you're not going to be able to just plug in, you know, some of these strategies. You have to really get to know um, the, di the dynamic of your relationship, but at least we give you, you know, a start to have right. that conversation. Right. I did want to talk more about um, some of the specific differences. You know, we talked about social, emotional, we talked about communication, um, but, you know, there are just so, so many different layers of uh, different challenges that you have to face as far as like financial things and uh, being able to, you know, when you think about being in a relationship, you're thinking about being on one accord. So what are some things that, 
happen in neurodiverse relationships that are really challenging as far as moving the relationship forward and not being stuck in that one place? That's a great, that's a really good question. Um, and just so everyone knows that um, what I was talking about is called alexithymia. That's what it is. Oh, yes. 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 Well, know it yeah, well. And identify them in your body. Yeah. Um, okay. So some of the really distinct challenges, you know, we were talking about before but black and white thinking, like some, I'm actually working with a couple right now. Um, the neurodivergent person kind of essentially made a that the couple will not have another child until um, the wife gets a job, right? Mm -hmm. Rule, I'm using quotation marks, has been in place for half years. Well, there was a global pandemic. She's now Mm -hmm. two years older and she's trying to say to him like, yeah, but, but longer, like we, you know, we're, we Mm -hmm. have to do this. And something like that though, I mean, it is so rooted in his black and white thinking. And actually that's the only time I've really ever seen him express sort of my, my interpretation of anger, like really tight body, really frustrated. Um, and so you know, hard because it's like, they're both have what I would call like almost like a level 10 problem, right? Mm-hmm. They both feel like it's so life or death. And then this is where, so you have this thinking on top of, I'm not, we're great at communicating why this matters to me, how I feel about it. Um, so all she's hearing is this rule, but this rule, there's something, right? So uh, either I need her to get a job for me that we're stable enough. I'm scared we don't have enough money, right? I'm scared that um, if she's at home with another child, like maybe she's going to be home for a long time, whatever. But when you're in a neurodiverse relationship, sometimes you can't find... So then you get stuck in these really difficult um, standstill moments. Mm-hmm. And then a partner sometimes feels like they're giving in quadruply more than the other person because they can communicate what's challenging for them or, you know, it pulling on that partner a little bit more to use their words, which can feel exhausting. And then... Um, other, I think big thing is kind of like what you were saying, finances, routines. So, mm-hmm. um, it all depends like, you know, where you are on the spectrum, right? So maybe you're autistic and you're super structured, but you're also ADHD and a hot mess in a lot of, <laughs> so <laughs> one, that can feel really confusing for your partner. Like yes. oh, you're so structured here and then you can't figure out a bank account or whatever, mm-hmm. right? You can't take out the trash every Tuesday. You know, it's every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it can go on two opposite sides. Like if the person is highly structured and they need that to exist and they're married, maybe married to someone that's like, you know, flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, those things, again, can be really big crossfires. Whereas with other couples, they might just be able to find a happy medium and say like, ah, whatever. Um I say a lot and I work with, would you rather be happy or right? And some mm. of them have what been like, Allie, I hate when you say that. It means nothing mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They do. They're like, oh, like I don't have to, I don't have to win this argument. And, I, but again, I think that gets so rooted in that black and white thinking. I think that's one of the biggest difficulties. I wanted to ask, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, Ellie, did you say you were in a neurodiverse relationship? No. So I have oh. ADHD. So that would mean, um, yeah, I guess technically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yes, I am. And my partner is an engineer for NASA. So although wow. I he's autistic uh, by any means, he's way more social than me. Um, but it, picture though, that engineering structured. Um, oh yeah. Type. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I wanted to ask, but this is something maybe it's just, you know, specific to my relationship. I don't think so. But a lot of times, like with my husband, when Allie was talking about the rule. So Allie and Mona, I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes it appears to me like my husband, you know, he'll get rigid in his thinking about a particular thing and he'll set this rule. Then I'll meet the standard for whatever that rule is. And then he'll change the rule again. 
Has that ever happened where you feel like he's just constantly changing the rules all the time? Yes. Okay. 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 So, so Allie, do you want to respond to that? And then I will. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if I have, so I feel that way. Again, my partner's not um, neurodiverse, but yeah, I do think there is a certain, when you have a brain type that appreciates structure, high Mm -hmm. performance, whatever, right? You, um, I've actually had to say to my partner before, whoa, 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 I actually met your standards on this. This is hard. You don't understand how secretly messy I am. You need to give me credit before you change this rule, you know, (laughs) whereas they're like, Oh, I'm so happy I helped you get to this level. He actually told me one time, he was like, well, I do these things because they're helpful for you. <laughs> I'm like, me <laughs> if I want it, they help, right? But I can see that being a person's thought process. Like, oh, I got here. So now I'll keep moving them further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think for, um, for my relationship, I think it depended on the level of anxiety that the rule brought once it Mm. was achieved. Okay. So um, when my ex and I got really serious, I told him I wanted two children. Then he told me he wanted zero. And I said, well, then I'm the wrong person for you. Well, he didn't want to lose me. So he says, okay, I'll have one. So that was his, that was his rule then just one, but I want to wait five years. Okay. We got to five years of, well, five years of marriage. We got to five years of marriage and I'm like, okay, um, we need to start talking about when I'm going to get off the pill and all that stuff. He changed the rule Mm -hmm. because he was really anxious and that didn't work for him at five years. And every year we went through this conversation, the rule changed, the rule changed for him, not for me. I was still, okay, five years worked for me. We waited nine years and there were lots of other situations that were similar and I really do believe now that it was due to anxiety. And, yes. and I think, yeah, and I think it's part of the thinking and the processing because, and maybe the black and white thinking, they're all connected. And you guys can, can tell me what you think about this. I think that the more time my ex had to think about something, the more negative ideas and thoughts he he could put in his brain because he would do the searching and the reading and whatever. And he didn't look at the glasses half full. He always looked at the glass or almost always looked at the glasses half empty. So the more time he had to process and think the more negative and Mm -hmm. barriers and walls he presented to himself, he didn't necessarily present them to me. What I heard was no, or that black and white thinking. Um, but he had processed all this stuff in his head. Does that apply to you, Manisa or Ali? Have you seen that? For me? Yes. The, one of the worst things that can happen is that my husband gets out of the bed at night because I'm like, Oh my God, here we go. (laughs) There's going to be a brand new narrative in the morning because he's going to perseverate all night long and he (laughs) is going to create this story. And in his mind, it is the God gospel truth. Mm-hmm. And he presents it as if it's that. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I just have to. And when he says, I've been up all night and we need to talk, I'm like, oh God, give me. <laughs> I oh. hear you. Well, go ahead, Allie. Yeah. <laughs> well, to that point, right? Why do we create rules? Create rules to give a comfort. Yes. To feel that. Right. So, to your rules, in some yes. way. And- you brought up a good point too, Mona, like there was a disconnect where you weren't invited in his intense perseveration or conversation with himself about why you guys need to wait longer to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I'm sure you guys have both about this effect. Once he's already done that a few times on his own, chances of you then being able to get in the loop are so much um, smaller. So that's another thing, you know, if I get the like pleasure of working with like a young, newly married neurodiverse couple, it's amazing because we can talk about these things. Like they Mm -hmm. literally, I talk about like planned time of like going on walks and talking or whatever. Like I feel like activity-based things in better conversation as opposed to sometimes dinner, like all that fun. You're staring at each other. You have yep. to talk, right? But at least yep. if you're doing an activity, there's a greater chance, like, more connection and real conversation about something. 
That is excellent. And that goes to the next point I want to talk about. And um, that is using the strengths in a neurodiverse relationship. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that I noticed over and over again was when we were in a car, when we were going somewhere, that was usually the best time for us to talk. We weren't looking in each other's eyes. There was music usually on. And when he was done or it was enough, I always brought a magazine or a book to read and he knew that he could turn off and I would still be okay. And that seemed to work for us. So um, what other strengths have you seen with some of the couples that you've worked with and maybe how can others uh, build on the strengths that you've seen? Yeah. Well, Mona, I actually love that example. And that there was sort of, um, there was a little bit of a routine to that, right? Like you guys learn ebb and flow in this super specific environment. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, like I was saying, a lot of the work with tend to be coders engineers right so like really good at structure leaning into that like okay if you did majority of our household budget right or if you looked at what our driving schedule is to take our kids to daycare and back and and that those sort of logistics and then for the other partner though to know that okay like i assigned this job they're really good at it I am going to have to sit here, though, and possibly listen to a 35-minute explanation that feels like a lot, but at the end, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, I'm getting the best, I might be getting the best travel deal, right? Like, if that's what something good at, lean into that. Um, I also find that a lot of um, the neurodiverse individuals actually are really, really good at, like, the administrative part of being a parent, right? Like, they... That part, they that, that act part, they're really good with taking on. Like, okay, so what time do we have to get or Do they need a lunch? Like, and once they're aware of what has to be done, another, th- if, if that works for them, right? That's a really good skill. Like, okay, I know you can take that on. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe so learning like what you probably wouldn't do, right? Like, I don't think your partner is ever going to sit and be like, yeah. Talk about what gifts we're getting everyone from the hot for the holidays. Like, <laughs> sort of know there's certain things that they're just not into, and like it's fine. But I think what's also really important for the um the the spouse or you know the other partner is to say out loud the stuff because that happens a lot too. Couples come in and the neurodivergent partner has this whole narrative around basically that they're part much because it's mm-hmm. very easy for them to label all the action steps they're doing. But as mm-hmm. we all know, there's also emotional things that you're constantly thinking about and processing and doing on a daily basis that they're seeing always. Um, mm-hmm. So to make sure saying it out loud, like, Oh yeah, I met with this person's teacher and they talked about this and I've made a strategy to do this or I was thinking about the holidays and we haven't seen this person in a while. So I'm going to make a dinner for this day that work for you, but kind of um, letting them know it just because it's maybe not always outcome based work. You are doing things. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. so, I, again, I, I knew this was going to be a fabulous episode. I think that that is so mm-hmm. important. And I think when I think back over our 32 years, the one time in our marriage where I thought we most gelled my ex and I was the first five years of our daughter's life and I Mm -hmm. I now understand why because we really understood each other's strengths and um, I had postpartum depression so especially for the first two years it was really bad and so I loved that my ex was packing the diaper bag, even though he was putting 25 diapers and 15 <laughs> bottles for a two hour trip. I knew I could trust that we would be overprepared. And I was great with that because I was just such a mess. And so I think so often I hear from neurodiverse couples, the complaints Mm-hmm. and what they don't like about their relationship or their partner. And I, I kind of agree with you that it's sometimes easier to have a conversation with a new couple who knows they're neurodiverse getting into the relationship and they really want to work 
together because they seem to be um, more comfortable with focusing on the strengths. Um, I think it was harder for my ex and I because we had been together so long and there had been so much unintentional hurt and, mm-hmm. and pain. But I love that, Allie. I love I love the suggestions and um, the thought that the, that went into that. Awesome. Manisa? Yeah, I, I love that, too, because, I, you know, these relationships, as I've said before, can be very difficult, um, but they can be very rewarding as well. Like for me. My husband is an IT security analyst, so he loves figures and uh, numbers and, you know, all those pathways into the computer that I have no idea about. But when he does our budget, he does our budget for the entire year. Mm. So, like, he did 2021's budget last year in December, Um, and he's extremely financially responsible. I don't ever have to worry about that. But at the same time, like Allie was saying, like you have all this structure in your brain for these numbers and these formulas, but you can't seem to clean up your desk. And, you know, it's just like (laughs) these are simple things, you know, like why why are there five notebooks and, you know, there's a paper towel roll and just all these odd things on his desk. I'm like, what is going on here? But that's the way their brain works. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, we have, if you're in a relationship, there's going to be conflict at some point because, I mean, you got two people who have two different uh, ways of, of living, learning, loving, and you're bringing them together to, to be one. So in a neurodiverse relationship, I can speak for me. One of the most difficult things was getting my husband to see that an issue was an issue and not just my issue. Um, You know, I always say that if there's an elephant in the living room, I would like both of us to see it. Like not me, you know, I would like for both. So how do you, how do you get couples, uh, Allie, what kind of strategies to get them to see like, okay, if it's an issue or a problem, how do you get both of them to see it and work through it? Oh gosh, Monika, that's really good. Um, back to your point really quick about like the notebooks and the spreading. So mm-hmm. I'm a spreader, I do that too. We have a tent <laughs> in my house. So before I go down, my office is upstairs. So before I go downstairs, I set a timer and just clean for 10 minutes. And like, sadly, every day there is a clean, but because I learned how irritated my partner that there was stuff. Whereas I'm like, oh, it's fine it's my space but yeah so that's a good the 10 minute strategy is really good but um you know that's a tough one and I see Mm -hmm. that a lot like I even had men and be like yes she has postpartum like that's her right Um, or like she you know her I'm speaking now and um the wife's dad died and so I his parents have also passed but he wasn't all that upset because he was with them now the wife is really close with her dad so like this was really hard on her um and again he he's going through the motions of trying to be supportive but he really does see it as her problem so mm-hmm. it's hard i i don't even know if i have a great strategy for that i think it's just um maybe having another person mm-hmm. try to that dialogue like actually this affects both of you because that's mm-hmm. like the your kid this is your partner who's struggling with something um so yeah no and i think to be honest i don't even know if that's neurodiverse i think that's a lot of men like i think I know. <laughs> like, oh she's being emotional that's obviously yes. her thing yeah I know I've said to my husband, he doesn't like it, but you know, I've, I've learned certain language now to tap into those emotions. So like if I have an issue or a, you know, a challenge with him, I'll ask him, you know, is this a good time for us to talk? I'll present what the issue is. And I'll say to him, you know, do you understand um, why that's a problem for me? And most of the time he'll say no. Now on my good days, I'll continue the conversation, accept his answer and move on. But on my not so good days, I'll say to him, how convenient that you get to use your Aspie card today, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, it's just like, Oh, I'm going to pull my Aspie card because, Hey, remember 
being being an ask me part of part of my challenge is that I don't understand what you're going through. So, hey, I'm going to pull that out today. Um, mm. And so sometimes, I, you know, I know that's probably not a nice thing to do, but it, it's that moment when I need that validation. And it's just yeah. that one day where I'm like, oh, I just wish you could get it. I wish you could just say, yes, I know why I hurt you. Yes, I know why yeah. you're crying. As you yeah. said, that, Monique, I just thought of one. I love that you like are like, hey, can you talk? Now, right. Mm-hmm. Or, like, does this work? Because I that's huge. And most mm-hmm. people are doing that step. Right. So then they're in the zone at work and they do kind of come across as a jerk because they don't mm-hmm. want to. Um, but what we were saying just kind of sparked me to be like, I love that you're asking too. Like, mm-hmm. you do you see this as a problem? And when they say no, I think the solution that the next thing is has to be like, okay, I'm gonna give you examples that don't have to do with me, and I want you to see if kind of thing. Like, try to give multiple examples that aren't related to them for the moment, and even then, maybe it's like, okay, no, you don't. We mm-hmm. talk again at 8 p.m. tonight and talk about mm-hmm. a strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, like, let's use your brain that's really good at strategies and let's come up with something. You know, I sh- I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, no, go ahead, Minnie. I want to share I have real, two really, things to share. Okay. Yeah. I love our little antidotes. They're just so funny. So yeah. one day, I'll give you an example. One day we were having dinner. It was a beautiful, gorgeous day. You know, I had all these dopamines ring released because it was just sunny and just gorgeous and beautiful. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out here on a ledge. And I said, hey, I said, why don't you describe for me, like, what would be your most perfect day? So he's giving me this description, y'all, and it has nothing to do with me. I am not in this day at all. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Man. It had nothing. So I'm sitting over there trying not to let the tears drop out. And I was right. like, that's such a great um, day. But did you realize that, like, you never mentioned me? And he said, I said, you don't see a problem with that? And he said, no. You ask me what I would do on a perfect day. And this is what I would do. Right. So then he goes, well, what would you do? So, of course, I revised my statement because <laughs> originally I'm like, OK, we're going to uh, what is it? Bora Bora. We're going to one of those little huts that, that's in the water. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to hang out with my friends. And yeah, that was that, oh, that's that's an so example. Funny. Yeah. That yeah, I cool. had that happen many times, Manisa, and mm-hmm. it led to many a fight. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know what my ex used to say? St- he used to say to me is he said, "You have some outcome or some idea of what you want me to say before you even ask me the question. So why don't you just tell me what you want me to say?" And yeah. and I really didn't. I really mm-hmm. didn't. I wanted to know what he had to say, but I think he got to the point where he was afraid to say anything mm-hmm. because he thought I was going to get mad at whatever he said. But you know, that's water mm-hmm. under the bridge. But there's mm-hmm. two things I wanna I wanna bring up, and these are great, great uh, discussions that we have. One, my ex used a lot of analogies, Ali and Manisa. Mm-hmm. And I read an article about this, that a lot of autistic people feel comfortable using analogies. And I think for me, it made sense when he used them. I could understand where he was coming from. I never learned that skill while I was with him. Mm-hmm. I, I learned it with my daughter when she was younger, but I, I lost it. And by using analogies that are from his world, I think he could have understood some of my communication better. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's the first thing. Do you, either of you want to respond to that at all? I, I I I definitely think that's true. And, and listening to their analogy. So then you can get back to them. Like what they're using as example to be able to store that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other thing that was so interesting to me as my daughter got older, because I've always said this, and she agrees, if I hadn't been her mother, she she would be a mini of her father. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always say she's, she's on the spectrum, or definitely has a lot of this, the profile, but she had me as a coach. So one of the things that I would do, and this probably is wrong, so I'm not saying this as advice or, you know, my words of wisdom. I'm just telling our listeners what I did. Because I knew she got his brain, 
she knew his brain because his brain in many ways was her brain. I would ask her to translate for me. I'd say, I say, Rachel, I do not understand what your father's doing. I do not understand what your father's saying. I do not understand how he came up with that. Can you please explain to me after I'd had an emotional outburst? Mm-hmm. She could sit me down and she could tell me in very simple terms, ex- uh-oh, exactly where he was coming from, what mm-hmm. he meant, and she was 100% of the time correct. Wow. Yes. And, and still to this day, it's the same thing because, you know, my ex and I will be talking about something or texting about something and I just am not getting it because he's been, he's being very logical and rational and he's not understanding the emotions behind the words, especially with text. And so I'll, I'll reach out to her and I'll say, Rachel, can I read these texts from your daddy? And she, yeah. And then I'll read them to her. <laughs> She'll say to me, this is what he meant. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. So if you have an older child who's on the spectrum or has many of the same traits as their partner, as the parent who's on the spectrum, it may be an opportunity for you to learn from the younger version of your older partner. Does that make sense to either of you or just unique to my life? (laughs) No, I think that's great advice for a lot of families. Okay. So, so we're almost at the end and this has been a fantastic conversation. I want to bring up one thing and then I'll turn it over to Manisa and then you Ali to see if there's anything else you want to bring up. I really would like to talk about, um, some people call them deep interests. Other people call them special interests. Yes. What role, what role do you see with the couples that you work with that that plays in both positive things in the relationship in challenging things in the relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that, Allie? Yeah. So look, I think the special interest, I really try to talk to both partners as like, that's almost like love language in a way. So like if mm-hmm. a person is going to share special interest with you and they're really excited to tell you something, even though it might not be the way you would choose to receive affection from them, that actually is a really affectionate thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So in each couple, I try to identify what their special interests are and then really reiterate, right? Like that no one's is better than others. No one's is, you know, like stupid. So let's say, I don't, this is a really like generic example, but like the wife is very into um, going to restaurants and shopping or something. Okay. And the, the husband is obsessed with, I don't know, sex, right? So I've been in situations before where the might be like, well, her hobby's like, it's dumb or it's not like real. Like that's not a hobby. Like mine is this thing, like mine collect and there's, there's a purpose and all this stuff. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And just identifying like, no, 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 you each have interests and they're value to you. And it's nice to be able to communicate those with each other. And also, um, if you can use their interest in a way that's going to um, benefit you, right? So like if a special interest is, um, I work with one couple who he literally knows how to get the best credit card in the world because he's obsessed with points and like traveling and miles, mm-hmm. you know, like go with it. Um, mm-hmm. And many people's special interests, they end up making a career out of or like a hobby that's even paying them money. So again, just really leaning into them and knowing that them talking to you about it is a form of connection. I talk to parents a lot about this. Like if your kid is obsessed with trains and they find a really cool train fact, even though you don't think it's that cool, they're really trying to share with you. Like that's them being like, Hey, like so cool. And I want you to know it. Absolutely. And, and I think that's one of the things that I loved about my daughter and I learned from her, she was obsessed with um, the legend of Korra. So obsessed with it. it. It was a very deep interest for, I don't even know how many years. And she now has two tattoos permanently on her body from <laughs> that show. Very large <laughs> tattoos. And, you know, I told her you can't get a tattoo until you're 18. Well, the second she turned 18, that day she ran out to get a tattoo. Um, Cause I couldn't, I couldn't stop her, but I thought, you know, you're in your teens and then twenties when she got the second tattoo, 
are you sure you're going to still be into the legend of Cora when you're 56? And she goes, yes, 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 yes. And you know what? She probably will. She probably no. will. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. because it, it's almost like, it's almost like a child. I, I almost feel like the special interests are like a child and um, you know, you never talk bad about your child. So I think it's really important to listen and, and be very supportive as much Mm -hmm. as you can. So I I appreciate that, Allie. Thank you. Manisa, do you have any other questions or thoughts or issues for Allie? I just wanted to share something about the special interest. That is um, an area in our marriage that is still a challenge for us. Um, We are polar opposites as it relates to that. Um, You know, I love the arts. I love theater. I love Broadway. I love musicals. Uh, my birthday Sunday, and one of the things my children are—they um, asked me, "Mom, what do you want 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 us to get you?" And I said, "I want a karaoke, a Bluetooth karaoke microphone, so that I can sing karaoke." <laughs> <laughs> I love now, it. Um, and like my husband is just—he's into Apple computers, which, if you know, are very expensive. So, like, how do you? How do I do that? You know, how do I engage in that with him? It's just so difficult. Like for his birthday, I mean, they run, you know, three to four thousand um, dollars. It's just we're, we're, we're trying to figure that out. But I'll tell you something really sweet. Um, my birthday Sunday and he knows that I love Broadway musicals, but he just recently Mona knows this. He literally had an emergency cornea transplant surgery yesterday. Um And so he said, well, I'm sure you know that I'm not going to be able to do what I was going to do for you for your birthday. And I said, that's okay. You know, you did not see this happening. It's, it's perfectly fine. And I meant that I I really want him to be well. He said, do you want me to tell you what I was going to do? I said, okay, yes, go ahead. Mm -hmm. He said, I was going to take you to see Wicked. Oh. And of course, I was like, oh, <laughs> but maybe we can go. <laughs> no, no, but I thought, like, how sweet of him to know, like, this is what my wife loves. He right. would never do that on his own, ever mm. go see a Broadway musical. But he was going to do that for me. That's awesome. So it does make me want to open up more and say, okay, how can I be a part of his world? There you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Would going to the app. For him, if you guys together, yeah, we've we've done that before. We do have one okay. here. My, I'm okay. telling you, Allie, my husband has every Apple product that has ever <laughs> been made. I am not exaggerating. I'm not. We have uh, we have the desktop, the laptop, the iPad, the mini iPad. We have Apple TV in three rooms in our home. I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> I told and, Mona the um the other podcast. I said we do have a mistress in our marriage. Her name is Apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so this has been a great great episode, and I just uh, want to first of all thank you, Allie, for coming on. But I also want to give you an opportunity to share any last words of wisdom, advice, thoughts that you think would be helpful to our listeners. Yeah, you know, I think the big thing, and I keep learning this too, is um, it's all what being in a neurodiverse relationship really means is like learning each other's brains, learning how far this person can stretch and maybe where they can't stretch and how far you can stretch and vice versa and giving each other grace. I think that's Mm -hmm. a skill that a lot of people um, get about. But we're human, which means we're just imperfect, right? And, mm-hmm. and we need grace. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing I would say to people in neurodiverse relationships. And also, you know, stuff like this, that you have this podcast and there's more support groups, there's books, and you can ask questions. I mean, I just think that's amazing. For, there was nothing. And there still is enough, but there really was nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I agree. And that's a great way to end. And if folks want to get in touch with you, Allie, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? I would say to go to my website, Ali Arena Communications and Ali's ALI Arenas, like sports arena. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Going to my website. 
Awesome. And I'll put that in the show notes for the podcast. And again, I want to thank you for sharing so much today, Allie and Manisa. It's it's so wonderful that we have these great conversations with folks that are so committed to this issue. And I want to tell our listeners again, we I continue to do two free support groups um, the first Tuesday of the month at 630 p.m. Eastern time and the third Saturday of the month at 1130 a.m. So our next one's coming up um, on Saturday. And those are both Eastern Standard Time. And if you're interested, you can go to the Instagram page, which is neurodiverse, neurodiverse underscore love. And you can send me a DM and I'll send you the Zoom link. Or you can send an email to me at neurodiverse love, the number four and the letter U at gmail.com. Thank you, ladies. Another great episode. And um, we look forward to having our listeners continue to learn and hopefully more and more neurodiverse relationships will thrive as we share this information. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.